Bay Area Panthers pod. Part of the 95.7 The Game podcast network. Where you'll find analysis, news, notes, and more about the Bay Area Panthers of the Indoor Football League. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Grandy and Evan Giddings. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into episode 8 of the Bay Area Panthers pod. Evan Giddings joined by Mark Grandy your broadcast crew for the Bay Area Panthers after a tough loss on Sunday night at SAP Center. Six straight losses for the Panthers. Now this one comes in 65-34 to fashion to the Northern Arizona Wranglers. First time this season that the Panthers have faced an opponent for the second time. A little bit better than the first go-round. And kind of a similar story with the Bay Area Panthers playing the Wranglers evenly through the first quarter. 14-14 tie at the end of one. And whereas in the first edition of this of this matchup, Northern Arizona really ran away with it from the end of the first quarter to the end of the game. The Panthers had some fight in them. Were able to put up some scores in each of the second, third, and fourth quarter. But a 28-point second quarter for Northern Arizona really did the Panthers in. We saw some flashes in the beginning of the Joe Newman era at the quarterback position for the Panthers after letting Corey Murphy it started for the first few games of the year go. So a lot to kind of digest in this loss despite a lopsided L. And overall, I think some things that you can really build on, especially with the way that we saw the offense change, not necessarily in terms of play calling, again, dominated by the run, about six and a half yards per pop, still effective on the ground, but... I think we saw some things against a number one rated defense in the IFL, mind you, that Newman can build on that hopefully the Panthers can use to finally get off of this slump that they've been on. Yeah, and I mean, his numbers aren't going to blow you away passing the ball, uh, you know, on on Sunday night against Northern Arizona. 5 of 12, 71 yards through the air for Newman. Did throw for two touchdowns, one interception. I think what's really interesting, Evan, is the relationship he has with Cameron Pleasant, which looks like his preferred, his his go-to target, the guy that he's most comfortable with. And they've kind of developed a really nice chemistry even before, you know, this most recent game when Joe Newman was kind of in and out of the lineup a bit before he was the official full-time starting quarterback. It even seemed like then that his his favorite target was Cameron Pleasant. They've hooked up for a number of touchdowns even, even before this last week, but they did so twice in the end zone on really similar plays. One was a perfectly executed back shoulder throw on the, you know, the front left corner of the end zone uh, in the second half. Just a perfectly executed play. When you have a receiver like Pleasant, big body, 6'2", 220. That's really hard to defend. Um, So, you know, Joe Newman, 5 of 12, 71 yards, two touchdowns, not eye-popping numbers, but that connection to Cameron Pleasant is impressive, and I think it's something that we're going to see Newman uh, rely on and lean on as the season moves on. Of course, he's going to need to, you know, get that relationship up, I think, with the rest of the receiving core and, and feel as comfortable with guys like Daniel Crowell Jr., DeAndre Douglas. Maybe we see Dresante Dorton in the passing game a bit. We saw him in the run game uh, this last week, but there's no denying the relationship and the chemistry between Newman and Pleasant is real. Absolutely. And we're going to get into a couple more stories throughout this podcast here on episode eight. You can subscribe anywhere you find your podcasts. Go to the Odyssey app and find everything on 95.7 The Game as well as everything Bay Area Panthers related. But So we're going to get into some stories as we've been breaking down some of these players in a more, you know, 
and a bit of a deeper look compared to how we're able to, you know, basically analyze them on the broadcast because we don't have a ton of time to get into the backgrounds of all of these guys. So Crowell will certainly be one of them. Also, Nicholas Brazel will be one of them who had a big game, uh, had a couple of passes defended along with an interception, as well as Kamai Yates, who returned after missing a few games from injury. So we'll be getting into that later. But you mentioned a guy that stood out and really right off the bench literally into the end zone in yeah. Sante Dorton who came off the bench was signed earlier this week as a running back to kind of supplement the running game with Joe Newman who's been the leading rusher for the team so far this year along with Dwayne Gary who has led the way in terms of total touchdowns on the ground but Gary went down eventually did return but sort of temporarily hurt his left leg on the first possession of the game and so that opportunity for Dresante Dorton was right in front of him and he took his first carry 45 yards to the house he ended up with 54 yards on the ground on just two attempts but also we saw him you know contribute in the special teams game had the touchdown and also I mean he was putting his body on the line I think he is a quintessential IFL story because a lot of times, again, we've discussed at length how the 21-man roster doesn't allow you a ton of flexibility, especially when injuries happen in-game. There's not too many guys that you can bring off the bench, but Dorton, awaiting for his chance, absolutely seized it. I was impressed by what I saw with him. Oh, for sure. I mean, you first touch, 45 yards for a touchdown. I mean, that's exciting enough, but you know, even just... You know, he was with the team in training camp, didn't make the, you know, the opening week roster, but obviously still hung around is, is in the area. He's not from here. He's from up in Washington, but, you know, he made himself available to this coaching staff. And when his, you know, his name was finally called on, uh, he was ready to go. And I think there's, you know, it's easy to, you know, just say, well, you know, he, he found a line and he scored, but it's difficult. You, you go into a team that you're somewhat familiar with, but that you really haven't been around much for a couple of months now. And you're able to have that kind of impact immediately. It's it's really impressive. And I think it's something we talked about last week here on the pod, Evan. Maybe it was on the broadcast this past week as well, but you, you were wondering what would happen if Dwayne Gary went down. And, you know, knock on wood that he doesn't. And it was a non-serious injury, it seemed like, this last week against Northern Arizona. But there's not really any other full-time running back that they have behind Dwayne Gary right now. I mean, they've had a few that have been on and off the roster. But as of right now, none. So what happens when Dwayne Gary goes down, if Dwayne Gary goes down, whether it's for a play, a drive, a game, a couple of weeks... Who's going to fill in? And I think we found the answer to that, at least right now, with Dresante Dorton, who's listed um, you know, as a wide receiver, but we see him using, uh, using the run game, as you mentioned, in the special teams game, in the return game. Uh, so he's, as you mentioned, a good IFL story because of his versatility and just willingness to, to do whatever the coaching staff, uh, staff asks of him. And that's certainly what we saw on Sunday at SAP when he, he ran the ball willingly and uh, he returned the ball. And I'm sure that if they asked him to go out and run some routes you know, on the receiving, I mean, he would have done that as well. So uh, certainly uh, excited to see him have that kind of impact and, and very happy for him too. And a big adrenaline boost to the running game against the the number one rushing defense in the IFL. And so, the you know, the Panthers obviously had an uphill task this, this week with the way that Northern Arizona had been playing. Coming in, they were very stout up front. They were efficient offensively. And 
you know, the defense was pretty much tasked with trying to bottle up this guy, Quentin Randolph, who was coming off a game in which oh, he scored seven receiving touchdowns. I know the numbers having over 100 yards and three scores through the air, <clears throat> pardon me, are, are not ideal, but compared to what he did the week before, <laughs> they actually found a way to limit this guy. It's it's crazy. I mean, you just look at, at his raw numbers from this, this past week against Bay Area. Eight catches, 113 yards, three touchdowns. You're thinking, oh my God, that's a career night for a wide receiver, especially in the IFL. I mean, eight for 113 and three in the NFL. I mean, that's crazy. You consider 113 receiving yards on only eight catches in the IFL where it's a 50-yard field, it's much thinner. That's really hard to do. He had a 35-yard catch. That's almost the whole field. Like, he, he's he been absolutely phenomenal. And I I do think it, it's really insane when you consider, despite that stat line, he was about half as productive as he was the week prior. Seven total touchdowns the week prior for Quentin Randolph. A couple of them came on the ground, five of them through the air, three total touchdowns this past week. So it's kind of odd saying it, but... You know, at least he didn't score seven touchdowns against you if you're the Panthers. Well, and, and all three of those touchdowns came in the first half. So, you know, we've discussed how the, the second half of the game for the Panthers has kind of been the, you know, the Achilles heel, so to speak, where they've been in games again early in this game after going down 14, had 14, uh, 14 unanswered points. So they got back in the game quickly, but at half is sort of when we've seen the momentum shift. So at least to see the defense and particularly the pass defense, which had been hurt on explosive plays the previous you know four or five weeks, for them to step up against Randolph and, and try and limit him in that second half was impressive. Do have to give a shout out to Rayshon Pringle, who had a fantastic yeah. interception that he returned for a touchdown, a 27-yard pick six in that third quarter, and uh, or pardon me, the fourth quarter, the beginning of that fourth quarter, turned out to be the final score for the Panthers on the day. So we have seen improvement from the secondary, and uh, you know. Obviously not ideal, but there's a few situations where it isn't necessarily the talent that's getting beat for the Panthers. It's some miscommunication in the backfield. We saw Randolph get open early in that second quarter for one at the goal line in which a few defensive backs were kind of looking at each other, expecting the other to pick the other one up. So we, I think we saw some improvements defes- defensively in that second half. Hopefully that they can take forward with them. And also a couple of guys stepping up in the backfield, or pardon me, up up front as far as the defensive line is concerned. You know, pretty decent against the run, but this has been a team that was limited in terms of sacks. Only a couple coming into the game. They had a total, you know, only one sack, but as far as tackles for loss, at least by my count here, four on the game, split between four different Panthers. So, you know, there was some steady improvement that they can hopefully use because, Again, 65 is a large number, but you have to play complementary football. And the offense, in a few situations, didn't necessarily present the defense with a, you know, a plus field, a really a, a, a big opportunity to make a stop. Uh, and so I, I, I think the Northern Arizona Wranglers did a good job of capitalizing on, on some of those mistakes. Yeah, they did. And I think one guy who we need to mention, I know we're going to talk about him a little bit more in depth in a minute, is Nicholas Brazel. He, he had a, himself, I think, his best game um, this year uh, on Sunday against Northern Arizona. Of course, you know, he, he was beat a couple times down the field by Quentin Randolph. Glenn Gibbons had a big catch as well. But Brazel had an interception in which 
he just ripped away from Randolph early in the game, which helped get the Panthers back in the game in that first half. It led to a touchdown that tied the game at 14. It was really what looked like a completion from Barker of the Wranglers to Randolph over the middle. And, you know, fast forward a few seconds and Brazel has the ball in his hands. He just ripped it away from the star receiver for the Wranglers coming up with his first interception of the year. That was a really impressive play. And he had two other passes broken up, both of which were in the end zone. Now, you could make the case one was more on the quarterback, Caleb Barker, than a great play by Brazel. Barker threw the ball late. He had a receiver open and just didn't quite see him in time. But Brazel recovered well, knocked it away. And then in the second half, I believe, he made a really nice play in the end zone as well, knocking a ball away from from what was a receiver that, that had a half step, a step on him. But he extended his long arms and was able to knock it down. So uh, Brazel as well. You mentioned Pringle with the pick six. He's been explosive with the ball in his hands. But uh, Nicholas Brazel, who we thought coming into this year, we might see more as a receiver than a defensive back. Uh, but he's turning into one of the better defensive players as well for Bay Area. Episode 8 of the Bay Area Panthers pod here. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy. You can find everything Bay Area Panthers related, especially on our pod on the 95.7 The Game podcast network. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Odyssey app. I want to stay there with with Brazel. We talked about how we're going to go a little bit more in depth with some of these players and young men here on the Bay Area Panthers. And Brazel, along with you know, a former teammate and now teammate on the Panthers, Daniel Correll Jr. Two very interesting stories, but Brazel himself from Batesville, Mississippi, a guy that actually started out playing SEC football out of high school, and probably one of the reasons for those great hands that you just mentioned, Mark, is the fact that he played wide receiver his freshman year at Ole Miss. And this was a guy who... I believe had the second most catches as a freshman between any of the wide receivers. The only guy who had more was Dante Moncrief, who ended up going into play for the Indianapolis Colts. It was a third-round pick. So back in 2011, there was a lot of promise for Brazel, who ended up after the season, you know, had to leave the team because of you know, some other circumstances, but then ends up at a place that I think many are familiar with because of the Netflix show Last Chance U. Yeah. East Mississippi Community College for the 2012 season where, you know, he wasn't able to to stay with Ole Miss because of academics. He goes on to score a 4.0 GPA and work his way back academically, athletically, and, you know, is really just, I think, an inspirational story that a lot of people may have seen on the Netflix show, but is now getting to shine here in the NFL. And even though he didn't play a huge role the first couple of games as a wide receiver, we're now seeing him shine as a defensive back. Yeah, so he was at EMCC, East Mississippi Community College, which was the subject of Last Chance U seasons one and two. But he was there in 2012, so before Netflix was there filming anything. So you didn't see him on the show, but, you know, you, you watch the show and you kind of know how, how it works at EMCC. He was involved in all that before it was featured on Last Chance U, but it was still EMCC. They are getting a lot of, you know, top flight uh, talent from other schools that for whatever reasons, academic other reasons, have to leave the schools they originally committed to and they try to revitalize their careers. And that's what Nicholas Brazel did there. You mentioned the 4.0 GPA uh, and, you know, did a good job at EMCC as well. Um, interestingly enough, though, you know, he has moved over mostly to defense, as we've talked about. He has IFL experience in the past playing for the Nebraska Danger, who no longer exist. 
back in 2016 and 2018. Also has experience with the uh, Cedar Rapids River Kings most recently as 2020, despite the fact that that season eventually uh, got canceled because of the uh, the pandemic. Uh, so this is a guy that has IFL experience, and as we've talked about multiple times on the pod, that is extremely valuable for, for a team that's in its inaugural season because you have guys like Nicholas Brazzo, like some of the others, who can kind of coach some of the lesser experienced guys through the ups and downs, the highs and lows of an IFL season, what to expect, how to use the walls you know, defensively as an extra defender, how to use them to your benefit, a guy that's been through the trials and tribulations of multiple IFL seasons beyond just his ability on the field. That's that's a very valuable uh, piece in and of itself. Well, and... You know, not necessarily at the same time, but, you know, sharing a similar story, as we mentioned, to Daniel Crowell Jr., who, ironically enough, I just mentioned the name Dante Moncrief. He's actually related to. That is his cousin. (laughs) So there's seven degrees of separation all around the Bay Area Panthers and a lot of really cool stories because Crowell, who's also from Mississippi, Meridian is the town at a Meridian High School. You know, he went straight to Eastern Mississippi Community College. So he played a couple of seasons there in 2016, 2019, and you know you mentioned how... 2016, 2017. 2016, 2017 was on season two of Last Chance U. So may have had a chance to, to catch him there, but you know this is a guy who, at least through the first couple of games this season when Corey Murphy was the quarterback, I thought really established himself as a safety blanket in the wide receiving core and was a guy who was originally tabbed I believe in the 2020 season to be sort of the you know number one or de facto go-to wide receiver. So in the sense, he's kind of a veteran with the Panthers because he's been around. He's seen the the formation of the team and now in the inaugural season is getting a chance to be on the field. But he also is one of those guys that brings a chip on his shoulder. He's been to you know last chance you. He has NFL ties with Moncrief. He is a professional wide receiver and a guy that I think a lot of the quarterbacks, you know, former and now current with Newman in the system for the Panthers have looked to because he just seems to be kind of a steady Eddie, a nice presence out there on the field, and he brings a lot of experience with him. Yeah, well, Crowell Jr. and Cameron Pleasant, the only two receivers that have touchdowns this year. So those are the guys that whether it's Joe Newman, whether it's anyone else, those are the guys that they've been looking to in the red zone, and Daniel Crowell Jr. has been making himself available. But I I wanted to share a little bit more about his time at EMCC. So again, he was there at a high school from 2016 to 2017. The 2016 season was season two of Last Chance U. So Crowell Jr.'s freshman year at EMCC was the second season of Last Chance U, which was also the last year Last Chance U was at EMCC. Didn't have a huge impact as a freshman at EMCC. That was the year they lost their first game of the season. Multiple players were suspended as a result of a brawl from the end of the previous season. So Crowell Jr. in his first collegiate game was kind of forced into action because there weren't a lot of available players. He caught a touchdown pass in that game. He was even targeted on the game-tying two-point conversion attempt in the game's final minutes, but the pass was broken up. So EMCC, they lose that game. Spoiler alert. (laughs) If you haven't seen Season 2 of Last Chance U, I'm sorry. But yeah, spoiler (laughs) alert. I I guess I should have started with that. But So the pass was knocked away. They lose Game 1 of the season, and essentially at that moment, their national uh, national title hopes are essentially dashed. 
But he comes back 2017, which after Last Chance U has moved on to Independence Community College in Kansas. Coel Jr., he catches a go-ahead two-point conversion attempt in the final seconds of a game against Northwest Mississippi Community College that sends EMCC to the national title game, which they eventually win against Arizona Western. So this is a guy who, in his first ever game as a collegiate athlete, as a freshman, he drops, doesn't drop, a pass gets knocked away, and a potential go-ahead two-point conversion attempt to win his first game, can't quite complete it, and then he catches the go-ahead two-point conversion in the final minute to send his team to the national championship, a game they eventually won. Just that's just an awesome, an awesome story. And I think we're seeing how, you know, he can bring that kind of impact to the Bay Area Panthers. So uh Daniel Crowell Jr. certainly uh, a, a fun, a fun story. Maybe one of the best ones on this uh, Panthers team this year. Yeah, him and Brazel's sharing a, a couple things in common and you know they are from you know, Mississippi from the South, but kind of a more local story that we want to focus on here on episode eight of the Barry Panthers pod is Kamai Yates, a guy from Elk Grove, went to Franklin High School, so kind of the Sacramento area. And we haven't really got a chance to see him a whole lot in action this year, has played minimally due to injury, went down in game one of the season, and then really just came off the IR recently. So we finally got a chance to, to see him. And I think you know, it, it's I don't want to go too far, but about a hundred percent against Northern Arizona. At least he looked it the way that he played on the defensive line. Picked up a sack in his first game back. Was I mean, you know, one of the few guys to have consistent one on one matchup in which he was winning. And this was a guy that coming into the year was sort of expected to be one of the vets along that defensive line, which has been largely banged up and was at least I thought going to be a potential strength for them entering the season. Week one, they really won the line of scrimmage against San Diego. Ironically, that's the only game they've won so far. And then once the injuries started happening up front, including Yates, that's when the the slide that they've been on for the last several weeks has sort of begun. But, you know, Yates is a big, powerful human being. You know, was was talked about by the defensive coordinator, Derek Shashray, is being one of the two or strongest guys on the team. He's 6'2", 250 pounds, but he looks bigger, and he is just an intimidating guy down there on the field and also considered one to be sort of a, a big brother. And I, I think that that sort of veteran presence out there contributed to, to what we saw up front, them winning a few more matchups than in previous weeks. And hopefully, as he continues to get his legs under him, now having you know strength, having health, I think he can really be a nice addition to this group. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the big brother of the group, according to defensive coordinator Derek Shashere. I mean, he was a senior at East Central University in Oklahoma back in 2015. So, you know, he, he's on the older side. He's been a pro before. He played for the Green Bay Blizzard of the IFL in 2017. So he's been around, you know, the professional ranks for a bit as well, which, again, is very valuable. Um, so I agree. He, he's a, a, not only just his his football ability, and, and you saw it on Sunday, his first game back in almost a couple of months. He picks up a sack um, and just a good job, you know, soaking up space in the run game. Um, but beyond, you know, again, just that football ability, it's it's that veteran leadership, as you mentioned, the big brother of the defensive line group. Uh, that's something. 
um, you know, that I think, you know, it's easy to understate how, how important that is. And uh, he, he's certainly going to be looked upon, I think, as the season moves on to continue leading that group and, you know, knock on wood that he's able to stay healthy. I think we're going to see now that bodies are coming back. We saw Boss, Boss Tagaloa come back from injury a couple of weeks ago. You know, Kamai Yates most recently this week. Larry Ross is expected to return uh, shortly as well. He's been on short-term IR for a number of weeks. As this team gets healthier, Kamai Yates a big part of that. I think we're going to see, you mentioned kind of how the second halves have been the struggle point. You get just bigger, fresher bodies back. I think we're going to see this Panthers team be able to play more complete games. You won't hear an excuse from the coaching staff about injuries, but certainly that's had an impact. And now that a couple of them are back, waiting on a couple more, uh, they're certainly, I think, trending in the right direction. So Kamal Yates, Nicholas Brazel, Daniel Correll Jr., the three feature stories here on Episode 8 of the Barrier Panthers pod. If there's a particular player, a story that you'd like to hear more about, if there's something you'd like to chime in with, feel free to hit us up on social media. You can tweet at us. That is at Mark Grandy, my broadcast partner. I am at egiddings10. You can also tweet at 957thegame or at the Panthers IFL on Twitter. Any questions, we would be happy to get into and break down here on the pod and it's it's at mark with a c so m-a-r-c-g-r-a-n-d-i mark Mark with a c mars grandi (laughs) mark grandi with a c m-a-r-c there you go g-r-a-n-d-i correct all right I'm at E Giddings 10. You can figure that one out. <laughs> the number 10, not the word 10. Yeah, that's a uh, fair point. That's right. Yeah, number 10. Uh, they didn't have any E Giddings non numbers. So I guess <laughs> you get in earlier. You're, you're special, Mark. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. So we, we've checked out the macro here, obviously, or the micro part of me. We've looked at the game itself, we've checked out a couple of players. Now I want to. You know, take a step back and look at the macro of the IFL at this point because, you know, there's a sizable enough sample to to really identify who has sort of separated themselves, particularly in the West. But, you know, Mark, you, you were talking about how this week in particular was was quite a doozy for a lot of different teams. Week eight in the IFL, so still, you know, quite a bit of action left. I believe 11 weeks total left in the 19-week IFL season that spans until mid-July, so still plenty of time to get on board if you haven't already. But there were four games this week in the IFL that were determined by 10 points or less, and a couple of games that came right down to the wire, including a couple of big-name teams getting knocked off. Yeah, so uh, I think most interestingly, uh, this isn't one of those you know ten point or fewer games, but the top two teams in the IFL battled in Frisco, the Arizona Rattlers against the Frisco Fighters. Arizona won that game, forty nine to thirty five. That was on Saturday, one of the earlier games of the week. Arizona is now six and zero, and Frisco they fall to a five and two. So that was super interesting. But uh, the other game. Uh, very, very, um, I don't want to sell Vegas short, but pretty shocking. The Vegas Nighthawks, in their inaugural season, they knocked off the defending champion Massachusetts Pirates 46-44. to It was a close game throughout. I was kind of keeping an eye on it as we were getting ready uh, for the Panthers broadcast on Sunday. Vegas wins on the road in Massachusetts 46 46- to 44. How about that? Massachusetts, again, the defending champs. They've kind of had a couple hiccups this year. They haven't looked quite as dominant as they did in the playoffs last year. 
They're now four and two on the year. That was their first game. Um, pardon me. They've only played one game against a Western team, uh, and and that was it against uh, Vegas. So they they fell in that one. So you have a couple of top flight matchups, uh, really good teams playing, and you know Massachusetts losing. That that's impressive. And and you you talk about how it you know matters for Bay Area. Well, Vegas is in the West, and you know if, if you're a Panthers fan looking at how you might be able to sneak into the playoffs, there's another game that we'll get to in a moment that has an impact. But you might you might have thought just to you know write in an L next to Vegas on that Massachusetts line when they have a matchup against the Pirates Week Eight, but not so fast. They pick up a win on the road, which maybe not the biggest shock of the week. I don't know. There's a couple up there, but that was certainly one of them. No, absolutely. And, and Massachusetts is actually the only non-conference opponent left on the Bay Area Panthers schedule. So you can see the defending champions in the IFL later in the season. That'll be in early July. But, you know, and we'll, we'll get it to the, the next opponent for the Panthers in just a second. That's Duke City, who fell in, in, you know, heartbreaking fashion, 42 to 41 earlier this week to, uh, or pardon me, last week to Tucson. But as far as the standings match up right now, the way that the IFL is set up, two conferences, total of 16 teams, four teams from each conference, the top four teams, I should say, will get into the IFL playoffs with a chance to win the United Bowl. So right now, as it stands, despite the Panthers, you know, obviously struggling as of late, one and six overall, one and four against the Western Conference, again, some top teams, as we mentioned, of course, Arizona has really separated themselves as kind of the cream of the crop in the West. They are five and oh in conference play, but just one and a half games out of a playoff spot right now for the Bay Area Panthers. So despite things not going their way, there's still a lot of time left for them to turn things around with primarily conference opponents left on their schedule, including one this upcoming weekend against Duke City, who is right now tied for the fourth and final spot in the Western Conference playoffs. So as this thing begins to shake out, Mark, there's a lot to look forward to, even though maybe the recent results for the Panthers haven't been ideal. Yeah, you know, you still control your own destiny. The challenge is you're playing some really good teams coming up. I mean, you look at the remaining schedule. You have two games against Arizona, the lone undefeated left. You talk about that in Massachusetts matchup, the second-to-last game of the year of the regular season for Bay Area. You play Tucson twice. They're a quality team, 3-3. Three and three. On the year, you have another one against Vegas, who just beat Massachusetts. You play Northern Arizona for a third time. San Diego, you know, who, who played you very tight all the way down to the end, the first game of the year coming up in a number of weeks as well. Speaking of San Diego, they had arguably maybe the most surprising results of, of this IFL week, week eight. They knocked off the Bismarck Bucks on the road in North Dakota, 38 to 28. Who saw that one coming? This is a San Diego team that had one win. They were 1 and 4 moving into that game. Of course, that's the team that Bay Area beat in their first ever game, the Panthers' first ever game a number of weeks ago at SAP. Uh, but San Diego picking up a win against a really quality Bismarck team who now has suddenly lost two games in a row and three of their last four. Uh, so, really surprises all the way around. And the two big surprises were the teams right ahead of Bay Area in the Western standings, the Vegas Nighthawks beating Massachusetts and the San Diego Strike Force beating Bismarck. So while it's still in their grasp, again, you mentioned only a game and a half out of, the, of a playoff spot right now, 
they were dealt a couple of blows this week. Oh, absolutely. And some big wins for you know a couple of the teams towards the bottom tier as well as at the top of the Western Conference in the IFL. But the team right now that the Panthers have in their sights is the Duke City Gladiators who come into SAP Center on Saturday. And, uh, you know, again, another opponent that they'll play for the second time. Northern Arizona was the first. Duke City, now they get a second crack at them. They lost 50-28 to uh, earlier this season. and But, at least to me, the first thing that I look at from that game, Mark, is the fact that Joe Newman did not play. So, Corey Murphy started that game. Vincent Espinoza, the current backup for the Panthers, came off the bench once Murphy you know, went, went down. He's no longer a part of the team. So, despite the Panthers having tape on Duke City and what they like to do offensively. Ramon Atkins had a great game against them their first time around. Had five passing touchdowns. He had four passing touchdowns this past weekend in the one-point loss to Tucson. So he's been playing some good football, but they haven't got a look at what Joe Newman has to offer, aside from really the tape that he put together this week in his first ever game under the reins as full-time signal caller for the Panthers. So they got something in their back pocket that they might be able to use against a Duke City team that's you know pretty middle of the pack when it comes to defense, total offense, and total defense, especially when Joe Newman just went up against the number one defense in the IFL. Yeah, Duke City, they're going to come in 2-5 you know, and five overall, but 2-2 two and two in conference, which is the important number there. And they're coming in off of a loss, and... Just to take you through how this Duke City team is feeling, we have to talk about how their game this last week against Tucson ended. It was arguably the wildest ending I have ever seen in a football game ever. And I, I'm, okay, maybe not ever, but <laughs> it's up there, okay? It's, it's crazy. So Tucson scores with a minute and a half left to extend their lead to 11, 40 to 29. Okay, so Duke City down 11, a minute and a half left. You think the game's over, right? They score with 28 seconds left to get within five. The two-point conversion failed. So it's 40 to 35 with 28 seconds left. Duke City runs out of timeouts. So all Tucson has to do is kneel down and the game's over. They fumble the snap Mm. on the kneel down and Duke City recovers. With five seconds left, they get back in the end zone to take a one-point lead, 41 to 40. They kick the extra point. What happened? Which, knowing what happens next was a mistake. How did that happen? It gets blocked, and Tucson recovers it and takes it back all the way for two points, and they win at the buzzer. So you're down by 11 with a minute and a half left. You score a touchdown, get a miracle turnover, score again with five seconds left, take a lead by one point, five seconds left, kick the extra point. It gets blocked, returned the other way, you lose. That's what this Duke City team is coming off of as they get ready for Bay Area. That, I, that is the most insane ending to a game. At, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a tough L to take. <laughs> and one that can either energize a group or deflate you in the worst kind of way. So we will see, again, a 6.05 kick on Saturday. You can hear that game after the Warriors game against the Memphis Grizzlies, so we'll be on tape delay probably starting around 10 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock for that game on 95.7, the game, and that will be a home game. But, of course, for all of you who want to see it in person at the SAP Center, 6.05 kick, live in person, a great opportunity, and 
really the the last one for about a month for you to chance to get out and yeah. see the Panthers at home before they hit the road after a bye week. So Saturday, May 7th is the game up next against Duke City. The next time they'll be at home after that will be against the number one team in the Western Conference, the Arizona Rattlers, on Saturday, June 4th. Also something to note, just one more Sunday game left in the schedule. Every other game will be on Saturday from here on out, so you can pretty much pencil in your Panthers coverage for Saturday afternoon and or night. Uh, So that's certainly something that we want to plug in as well. And that'll just about do it unless you got something here, Mark. Just quickly, if you do want to head out to the Duke City game, go to BayAreaPanthers.com, click on the tickets tab towards the top left corner. I'm looking at it right now. 15 buck tickets get you right in front of the action come out to the sap center you'll see us there come up say hi wave at us we'll wave back to you it'll be a lot of fun we've been there for all the home games this year it is a great experience so head to bayareapanthers.com and get your tickets yeah a great environment as well and a really great production put together by the bay area panthers here in their inaugural season and only Four more chances to see them at home. So make sure to go out and get your tickets and get out to SAP Center to see some exciting football. And hopefully the Panthers can turn this season around. You do not want to miss out on that. But that is it for Episode 8 of the Bay Area Panthers pod. I'm Evan Giddings saying so long for Mark Grandy. Make sure to subscribe to the pod anywhere you find your podcast. You can find it on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Subscribe to the Odyssey app as well. And we hope to hear from you. Again, we talked about it, but hit us up on social media. Spell your name, Mark, for the people. M-A-R-C-G-R-A-N-D-I. And my name is E. Giddings. I'll let you figure that out. E. Giddings 10 with the number not spelled alphabetically. (laughs) And uh, we very much appreciate you listening, tapping in. We've seen a lot of support and seen the podcast grow throughout the first seven weeks. And so here for episode eight, we are happy to be bringing you these stories again. You know, we, we try to do justice for these guys, but Nicholas Brazel, Daniel Crowell Jr., Crowell Jr., pardon me, Kamai Yates, go check out their stories as well and look for them on the broadcast. You can hear us on 95.7 The Game, 605 Kick from the SAP Center. We hope to see you there. If not, hope you'll tap in. And thank you again for listening to the Barrier Panthers Pod. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bay Area Panthers Pod, part of the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network.